Well, we're, uh, we still are in the Songs of the Redeemed. Um, looking at Revelation, we, we kind of broke it up and said, let's look on this side of things. Uh, let's look on the kind of the earth side. And at the rate we're going, we can get through the whole Bible before we're back together again. So uh, the, uh, no, the truth is, um, several of you got my email this week. And I know some of you read it because I've heard the comments about, am I sad? Am I, what am I? And the truth is, I'm quite sad. I just made a list of the things that, as a pastor and as a staff, the things that we're facing uh, daily now. Um, as th- those that live in our county know, we've had two suicides in the last week. And it's so hard because uh, there's no way to physically get together with our teenagers uh, and grieve with them. That saddens me. We have to keep a distance. Even if we could be six feet apart, we're not allowed to hug them. We've had to cancel two funerals with no way of crying together, the Altorfer and the Ingalls family. And uh, we, we, we were looking forward to that time of just together, grieving of, over people that we know and love, that are part of our flock. We've had to cancel one wedding, place two more on hold um, for an indefinite period of time. Uh, there's no way of celebrating together. We can't even do that. We've had uh, several marriages nearing the breaking point. I was on the phone with two different marriages this week, just asking them to hang in there a little bit longer um, before they pull that trigger. Yeah, these things sadden me. Of course they sadden me. Uh, we have several families that are wondering about the next paycheck, and even more than that, their whole value and significance as workers. They've lost their jobs and furloughed or laid off and, and let go. And uh, you have two various tensions at work there. How am I going to pay the bills? And what's my worth now? What do I do? Okay, where am I going to go get a job? How am I going to do that? Yeah, that makes me very sad. We're unable to provide one-on-one counseling. We're doing a lot of telehealth. All the clinical psychologists that we use as a church are now full. They have waiting lists. That saddens me. People are struggling. They're struggling a lot. Uh, There's no way to, um, I don't think, overstate what's happening at least in our county, and I'm sure the other counties as well, wherever you happen to live, the mental health crises that are climbing because of the decisions that our leadership has made. We're unable to visit our loved ones in the hospital. I told you last week that I had been in an emergency room. Nancy wasn't allowed to go with me. Now, fortunately, mine was insignificant compared to uh, just a little pain compared to people that are really in critical conditions. Uh, But their families can't go. I can't even go as a pastor and pray with them and visit them. Um, something wrong with that. There's just something wrong. Does that sadden me? Absolutely, it saddens me. Well, we're uh, unable to gather together for the purpose of worship, to be together. That saddens me. I can't wait for you all to come back in whatever format it looks like. If we have to take half of our chairs out, whatever the social distancing is, we'll figure it out when we can get back together. I, I'll be honest with you. I wonder if our government leaders understand that we don't need 800 numbers. That's what we don't need. Uh, I'm grateful for the stimulus checks and things like that to help a little bit. Uh, But 800 numbers aren't what we need. What we need is each other. We're built for community. We talked about that last week. We're built for relationship. We need personal relationship and just as much we need touch. We need to be able to know that it's okay. We're going to make it through all of this. So what we've done as a culture, we've temporarily pulled the plug on connection, healing, and relationship. That's what we've done. Celebration. Celebration. Video conferencing just doesn't cut it. 
oh, it's a, it's a stopgap measure. I get that. And I'm in favor of everything that we can do to, to stem the tide. But it's not doing it. And I'm afraid that no one's paying attention to all of the side effects of what's happening. Now, today we're going to talk about our relationship. When we take the mask off, what happens to our relationship with creation? And the, the question I want to raise right away is, what does all this have to do with creation? Honestly, all week long, I kind of wrestled with it. Should I talk about creation or not with what's going on? And I decided that this actually plays a very big part of what we're going through. The Lord has given us things to help us, and creation is one of them. All the way back in Genesis one twenty-six, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creation that moves along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So from the very beginning, Genesis makes it clear that we have a very deep connection with creation. We love our gardens, right? We love our mountains. I mean, those of us that live here in Summit County, uh, it's just gorgeous. When I look this way and point that way, I'm looking at a whole range of mountains out here. We love our mountains, we love what they bring us in the way of excitement and sports and this love and joy of being here. We love our pets. We love all of our outdoor sports. So we, we enjoy creation. Uh, and as you know, I travel around the world several times a year. And uh, wherever I am, people have similar thoughts. They love the creation. It's fascinating. I was in Kathmandu a year ago. And, um, uh, and I could see the stars for the first time because they put in place some uh, policies to limit the number of fires and all that. And for some of my students, that's the first time in their life they've seen the stars. That's intriguing to me. That's amazing to me. That I'm just astonished by that. They were just outside staring at the stars. They'd read about them and heard about them, but they'd never seen them because the pollution has been so bad. We love creation. But like relationships with others, we too often see creation as a means to an end, specifically our end. And so we're going to put the mask on just for a moment, Okay. We're going to put the mask on. Hasn't been taken off yet. And what does this mean? How do we see things? Well, let's be honest. We know that there are some who exploit creation for their own gain, maybe for profit. Not everybody. Certainly not everybody. But there are a group that does that. But conversely, we have this group that worships creation, even to the point of valuing the environment over human dignity. So we have even this is a point of division within our own culture. Uh, the if you read all the ethics on environmentalism and uh, ecology and all that, you see these debates. This has led to patterns of some people of hoarding resources, taking ownership of that which we do not own. One of the things I've been saying throughout this whole series is we are stewards, not owners. We need to remember that, whether we're bosses, whether we have our own business, whether we're employees, whatever, whether we have our own backyard, we're stewards, we're not owners. I don't own employees. I'm to steward them and lead them well. But conversely, it's led uh, some to the impossible belief that we should just leave creation alone. That's not even a possibility to do that. But yet there are some that are just pushing so hard that way. So we've got this division. So this is the result. Uh, The result of this with the mask on is a faulty view of creation, I would argue. What originally God intended in uh, in dominion became domination. 
what God originally intended by ruling over creation has become ownership and control. What God really intended with that concept of subduing creation, we'll talk about that in a minute, becomes exploitation. We exploit for our own benefits. So once again, we find ourselves in a fallen world. This is what it's like with the mask on. We find ourselves in a fallen world, uh, which is now natural to us, by the way. The fallen world is natural to us. It's really hard for us to picture what, what, what it's like to really take the mask off. Just like we talked about all last summer, stepping out of the cage. We don't know what that's like. It's nervous. It's frightening uh, to many of us. It makes us uncertain on things. So we don't know what it's like because it's so natural. But what we can say is that with the mask on, everything becomes approaches self-serving. That's our natural tendency is to be self-serving. We tend to use creation for our own purposes. We have difficulty seeing creation as God's gift to us. Um, and so creation becomes a commodity which never fully satisfies, never quite satisfies. And so we need to rethink the purpose of creation. So then I'm going to ask the question, what happens with the mask on? What happens when we take the mask off? Remember all along we've said this allows us to gaze far more deeply into the eyes of a God who not only loves us, but loves all of this. It allows us to gaze more deeply and therefore to reflect more brightly what he intended. This is the gospel. This is the heart of the gospel that God loves this entire creation so much that he'll do whatever he can short of uh, overtaking our free will to get us to come to him and worship. So I have three impacts of what happens when we take the mask off. And one is actually very much related to what I, the way I started the sermon, the concerns that I see as a pastor. But the first one is, the first thing we can, now, uh, we can now see more clearly is that it is God's creation, not ours. We need to remember that. It is God's creation. This means that he created this creation with something in mind. It has a purpose, if you will. Uh, and it's good for us to go back and take a peek at what that purpose is. This means that... Um, uh, well, to begin, he holds a creation together in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, okay? Visible here, invisible, up in what we see in heaven. Um, and whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Did you see that? Um, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. I've argued for a long time, quit criticizing our, uh, our leaders. Do everything we can to work with them. That's been the DNA in our church for over 100 years, to work with our county leaders and our city leaders to further the health, the beauty, and the joy of our own existence here, our own culture. He, he is before all things, verse 17, and in him all things hold together. So creation has a purpose, but God is the one that's holding it together. Job, if, if you've never read Job, it's a fantastic book. So many theological lessons in here, but there's some things in here that help us with this discussion. One is that he controls the stars. Job 38, verse 31. He says here, can you bind the chains of Pleiades? 
Now, remember, he's confronted Job because Job's gone all these chapters with his friends arguing the philosophy of who God is and whether God is in control, whether Job is sinned. And so Job, so God finally steps. Job finishes his tirade with his friends and he says, where are you, God? If you would come and let me present my case, you would apologize. That's what he says. So God says, okay. And for several chapters, he puts Job to the test. And this is one of those test questions. Can you, Job, bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens, Job? Do you know that? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? What's the answer to these questions? Absolutely not. We are fooling ourselves if we think we can control creation. We can't. It's God's creation. It is not ours. He controls the stars. But he goes on a little bit further. And he talks about caring for the wild donkey in chapter 39, verse 5. Who let the wild donkey go free? Job. Who is it? Was it you? No. It's me. Who untied its ropes? I gave it to the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its inhabitant. It laughs at the commotion in the town. I love that picture. You got this wild donkey laughing at us. Just like Psalm 2, God laughs at the nations. I think he's up there just chuckling at our feeble attempts. It laughs at the commotion in the town. It does not hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and searches for any green thing. And he concludes, God concludes this test, this examination, if you will, with the statement that he is in control of all. Here's what he says to Job, and here's where he's heading in this whole several chapters of asking Job these questions. And this is good for us to remember. It's good for us to meditate on this verse. Job, would you really discredit my justice? Fascinating question. It's one of the questions of the universe. God never says Satan did this to you. Job never knew. We have the benefit of this being written down for us, but Job had no inkling. Would you really, Job, would you discredit my justice? Would you do that? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? And he goes on. If that's the case, verse 10, then adorn yourself with glory and splendor. Clothe yourself in honor and majesty. If you can do that, then take on the role. And we learn really quickly that we're so finite. I mentioned last Sunday that I was in the emergency room with a kidney stone. It's quite painful, I know. Many of you have had it. It's so amazing that a stone barely the size of a pinhead could bring me to my knees. And it's very interesting that a microbe can bring a world to its knees. That's how feeble we are. And that's what he's arguing here. Would you really, Job, discredit my justice? I made the decision. So the first impact is that God, this is God's creation, and we need to remember it. But the second impact, secondly, is that we can now see more clearly that we're stewards and nothing more. We're nothing more than that. You know, the Bible communicates that we are uh, in relationship alongside of, rather than authority over, in authority over the creation. Uh, 
We're to fill and subdue the land. We read that in Genesis 1. That word subdue, when it's connected to land, has the idea of taking possession. What does that mean? Abusing it? No, it means that creation has its own purpose, and our job is to help it fulfill its purpose, much like we do in relationships. You see, the earth isn't capable of sustaining human life without our cultivating it. And so, therefore, we form a partnership with creation. We work together hand-in-hand with creation, not to abuse it, not to exploit it, but to help it fulfill its purpose. Similarly, when we look uh, in Genesis 2.15, we are to work the earth and take care of it. He says that in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. These two words, work it and take care of it, they're very intriguing uh, because they mostly are used in the context of the priestly responsibility of taking care of the sanctuary. That's how these two words are most often used in the Old Testament. So, This probably has this picture of Adam and Eve given the responsibility of a priestly nature caring for our sacred space, what we call creation. But what we learn is that this is how God views creation. It is sacred. And we're to take care of it. We work together because it takes care of us and we take care of it. We're to serve creation, not worship it. There's a very big difference. But the third impact relates to what I want to talk about, uh, what I said in the beginning. When we go back to Psalm, you heard Psalm 119 read this uh, earlier. I'm just going to read it again. It's a very fabulous verse. Uh, It's a very good picture for us to begin to get a grasp of what creation is all about. The heavens declare the glory of God. They shout it out, if you will. The skies, they proclaim the work of his hands day after day. They pour forth speech. This is creation. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all of the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. You see, with this third impact, we can now clearly see that creation reveals the glory of God. Now, all the Psalms, they, they talk about this all through the Psalms. Let me remind you, I've said this many times over the years. The Psalms are the personal reflection of someone else who has come before us. Don't just read them lightly. Don't read them lightly. They're the songs of people that are in distress. We have people in distress right now. They're the Psalms of people that are praising God. We have people that are praising God. I personally, and on behalf of the staff, thank you for continuing to give to our church because you're paying our salary. And we are deeply grateful as a staff that you take good care of us and are uh, uh, enabling us to help others as well. And so there are those who, and the Psalms are full of this type of language, those who are fearing others, those who are afraid of what's happening to them. The Psalms, they give us a, a, a picture. They're designed to touch our heart. They're not, it's not so academic. It's designed to say, yeah, that's me. That Psalm, when I read it, that's me. But more than that, They're designed to create an effect within us. And so this psalm is very helpful during these trying times because we begin to get a picture that God gives us. He gives us a great deal of insight. Uh, His glory should result in joy. That should be the the natural byproduct. As we see his glory, we see it in each other. That's why we love being together in church. That brings joy. Is there anything better when you're in trouble than somebody comes up and says, let me help you? Boy, you don't have to 
create thanksgiving or joy. It just flows when you're rescued by someone else who's able to help you. That's the heart of Christianity, loving God and loving one another. And so this whole concept of glory leads to this joyful experience. Psalm 97, verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Uh, Psalm 67, and I see that, the earth reigns, let the, er- the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. I love that. All of creation should rejoice. When you go to Psalm 67, Psalm 67, here's what he says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine us. Boy, that's right out of Numbers. That's a benediction, a a blessing that we should be bestowing on each other. So that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. May all the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. Psalm 9. If we go back to the beginning of the Psalms. Psalm 9. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all of your wonderful deeds. Boy, that's what we should be telling people. You've heard me say many times that as I'm out and about in the the community talking to people, I'm just astonished, astonished at the high percentage of people that have a faith background and somehow Christianity pushed them away. Somehow Christianity pushed them away. Here's what we should be saying. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. We have such a good God, a loving God. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, Most High. The, uh, but the scriptures go for, uh, further. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, I'm going to read to you several verses, and they're probably going to appear on the screen. The scriptures go further and help us understand that gazing at creation brings this same sense of awe and wonder, relaxation, joy, gazing at creation. Just listen to these verses here. Psalm 40, verse 11. God tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Verse 26. Lift up your eyes. To the, and look to the heavens. Who created all of this? Who created all of this? Back when my first wife was nearing the end of life, I was a very young man. I went to our pastor, just depressed, discouraged, trying to stand tall, stand with strength and courage, but struggling as the reality of her dying came nearer and nearer. And he said, just read Psalm Isaiah 40. Meditate on it. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of this? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Isn't that a great picture of God? Somehow we've communicated a message to the world that's not a very healthy one. Here's a healthy one. Or verse uh, 28, the Lord is the everlasting God. Uh, In fact, let's go back. He asked a question. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Verse 31, but those who hope in the Lord 
will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. You see, looking at creation does something really amazing. It reminds us of how great God is. It reminds us that we're not alone. It reminds us that we have somebody who cares about us, who's very aware of what's happening in our world right now. If the heavens shout the glory of God, then we should gaze deeply at creation during this time. Because I believe that when we gaze deeply at creation, we soon are filled with praise and adoration. Uh, this leads to a new, a renewed sense of commitment to faithfulness. I'll be honest with you. I'm tired. I know you're tired. I'm trying to talk to as many of you as I can. I still have a list of people I haven't gotten to yet, and I apologize for that. You've asked for time. But I know you're hurting. I know you're struggling. I'm aware of it. And so every day I've been going outside and sitting on a chair in the back, on my back deck and just taking the time to gaze, gaze at the mountains. Uh, Nancy put a bird feeder up, so we have these little birds chirping away. It's amazing how much of a mess birds make when they eat. We have bird seed all over the place. Uh, and then we have more birds down there eating it. And, and just sit there and just, and it just helps me remember how great and wonderful and loving God is and how, how fragile and therefore dependent I am on him but how wonderful it is that I can relax because he does have this under control he does so what does all this mean well we hear all the stories and the stories are tragic uh what's happening with the coronavirus I've talked to my son-in-law and heard some of his stories he works in ICU and uh it just breaks my heart at how horrible this virus can be. Uh, we are very blessed here in Summit County not to be faced with much of this. But other people in the world aren't quite as fortunate. And so uh, my first w- word of advice to you is don't give up. Just don't give up. If your marriage is at the breaking point, doesn't matter how tired I am, call me. Okay? Don't give up. Don't pull the trigger yet. Let's just get past this and see what we've learned as a church and as a people group. Don't give up. Uh, but at the same time, don't forget that there is a whole group of people that are struggling with issues not related to coronavirus that uh, that's driving them in very, very hard places. Don't forget that. We have a whole mental health problem growing on our hands. Um, people that are we already know about the suicides. Uh, there are more that you don't know of, attempted suicides. And, and we know of people that I know of two personally just that are in relationships that are good friends with mine. Uh, we know that. We know about the tragedy of loss of work and significance. We know about that. We know the marriages that are struggling. We're conscious of that. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of all those people, your next door neighbor right there. So I would encourage you to sit in your yards and gaze at creation. Uh, Jude gave me an idea, and uh, Nancy and I have done it twice now. We have a driveway party. We're allowed to have 10 people, so we've invited eight others. Bring your own food, drink, lawn chair, and jacket, and we sit in our driveway. We've done that twice in the past week, and we had tears. How much refreshing it was just to be together, and we stayed long past dark, we stared into the stars. We even watched the satellites going overhead. And it's amazing how just for a moment everything relaxes a little bit. 
take the time to sit in your yards and gaze at creation, gaze at the stars, gaze at these wonderful mountains. I got up this morning when I came over, I took a little extra time. I only have to walk 30 feet, but I took a little extra time and just walked out and just stared at the mountains just to remind me again of how great God is. You see, God gave us the creation not only for us to enjoy it, but as a means of medication, as a means of reminding us of how good he is, as a means of bringing us joy, as a means of helping us to relax and avoid the stress. And I think it's very good. So for the sake of your friends, for the sake of each other, gaze deeply. Remember, this is what Easter is all about. That's why Christ came, to restore all this goodness. Father, thank you. We never tire of saying thank you for how good you are and everything that you do for us. It means so very much. Lord, we are so desperate to get back to relationship, celebration, being with one another, just touching each other, just a simple hand on the shoulder, uh, to grieve together, to laugh together, to work together. Please help us to get back soon. Give wisdom to our leaders all across the globe to know what's the wisest thing to do and help us remember those right here next door to us. We're very grateful. Um, We pray these things in your son's name because we love him and we believe in him. Jesus, amen. Normally at this time, we would take the offering. Let me just say thank you. I am astounded. Jude and I sat together this week and had tears at how faithful you are for those of you that are taking care of us and enabling us to take care of others. Uh, We are so very blessed to be a part of this church, and thank you for doing that. And then we would also do communion. I can't do it with you, but let me invite you once again, starting at 1130 to 130, to drive through, come around the back by the kitchen here, and I would love to serve you communion today. Just bless you and pray with you. Uh, Just look in your eyes and see you. I need it. I need it. Thank you.